It is great to have you on the Family Goals Podcast with Davey Pollock and Pastor Jay. I'm Joel and Howes, and on this podcast, we want to encourage you to grow closer to God, to strengthen your marriage, and to inspire your family to reach its highest potential. In this episode, we dive into part two of a powerful conversation with Jason Romano. Jason was with ESPN for 17 years. He was one of the guys behind the scenes of Sports Center shows like Mike and Mike in the Morning, Monday Night Football, College Game Day, the MLB All-Star Game, and many more. So here's part two. Well, Jason, we talk a lot about our testimonies. We talk a lot about also being a father and parenting on the podcast. And so yeah. Sarah's your little girl, right? Well, I guess not you know, so, so not little so little anymore. anymore. Yeah. What's yeah. What has she taught you about your faith or what? Here's, here's something that would be good for me. Like I have a girl going into middle or going into seventh grade next year. Like what's advice you would give someone like me or somebody raising girls that – um, yeah. that have a shot at middle school and high school coming up, that what's the piece of advice you'd give to us that would help us? Ooh, well, I'm glad you guys asked this because I'm in a really interesting um, you know, season of life as a dad because my daughter is about to go to college. She's going to go to a small Christian school in Indiana, Indiana Wesleyan, and it's an NAIA school. It's 12 hours away from where we live in Connecticut, and that's about to happen in a month or so. And that's when my wife and I are still trying to, how do how are we supposed to act here when we become empty nesters it's there's still this growing process i'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a mourning process as well that we're going to grieve through this this journey but when i go back to sarah being in middle school those were the hardest years for me dave as a dad because as they be these little girls that you know look at you and say daddy you're the greatest person in the world um, when they get to middle school, I, I I went from being the greatest person in her life to the most embarrassing person in her life. <laughs> it was a different type of stage of life. It was hard for me as a dad to continue to be the sort of silly, goofy dad um, that I try to be with her when she got to middle school because everything was like so serious. Wait, don't do that, dad. You're embarrassing me. Don't say that in front of my friends. Don't Don't stand near me. Don't sit near me those were things that were taking place. And yet I think through it all, Dave, I just, I just tried to love her. Um, I tried to find commonality. You know, we both love, um, star Wars. It's one of the few things that I raised her when she was four and we watched star Wars together. Uh, she stayed a huge star Wars fan. So as she was in middle school, she may not tell her all of her friends, because that might be embarrassing. <laughs> but at home we would watch star Wars together. And so you try to find, the commonalities she was she was starting to develop her her love for softball in middle school and so obviously sports guy here but i love softball i love com competition so i said let me encourage her there and i watched her grow and develop into a pretty good softball player um, we both love the new york mets and so we follow baseball together and we go to baseball games that's you just try to uh, yeah, so, you suffered a lot together too then <laughs> We did. I told her, I said, I am so sorry. That's not, I did not mean to inflict this pain onto you, uh, my lovely daughter, but we love, you know, watching baseball together. And so you just find the commonality, even in the moments when they're just acting a little different and dare I say, even a little weird when they're in that late middle school into early high school. But something happened, Dave, when she got to end of 10th grade, almost 11th grade, there was a maturity level that I saw start to take shape. And she, she became, I don't know, she became different. And I, I joke with people, she came back. 
like dad yeah. wasn't as embarrassing anymore. And she realized that dad and mom were people that she needed in her life to help her grow, to help her mature. And then when she started thinking about colleges and all that, I think there's this really neat relationship that's happening right now as she's getting ready to go to college that she's becoming less dependent on us as mom and dad fix things, save me type situations and more like mentors and even friends a little bit. Although I don't just want to be your friend. I always want to be your dad. As they get older, you become friendlier with them in a, in a different way. The relationship evolves a little bit. You become a mentor. You become somebody who can provide more advice than just correction. Um, it's a fun season of life and it's going to come quick for you, Dave. Uh, those middle school years, <clears throat> as hard as they were, thankfully went by pretty quickly. Thankfully. <laughs> well, well, I say thankfully, oh, yeah. but now I'm about to stop and say, but they went by too quick. And now here we are about to become empty nesters. And so it's a really fun season of life. It's what I desired. Honestly, one of my, one of my dreams and desires since I was a little kid was to become a dad, probably because I didn't have the greatest dad. And I wanted to be to a child what my dad wasn't to me. And that's all I really tried to do. Just be available, just love her, um, be intentional about Jesus with her. You know, she's never complained once about going to church. She serves in the church. Mm. Um, I think that's just being, you know, transparent, open with her about how we want to raise her and, you know, her seeing, I think, the benefits, if you will call it that, of being around other like-minded people who believe the same thing. And she's had some wonderful friends over the years. So I could go on and on about my daughter and about parenting, but it's it's been a really um, fun 18 years being the father of Sarah. I think you mentioned your daughter serving in the church. I was, we have a couple campuses here at Greystone. I was at Davies campus yesterday, went up to the kids area and his wife and his daughter were both uh, yes. serving in the kids ministry. And his daughter was up on stage leading the, the younger kids in worship. So it's a huge part to our listeners out there is get your kids serving uh, in church. Jason, you you mentioned your father, and I know you, the first book that you wrote. I want I wanted to ask you about your books. Yeah, of uh, course. Live to forgive, uh, moving forward when those we love hurt us. Yeah. I think that's a story about you and your dad. Can yeah. you share with us a little bit about that book and a, a little bit about your relationship with your dad? Yeah. So I grew up with a dad who loved sports, um, but didn't know how to love his family properly. Uh, who loved drinking. Um, and didn't know how to tame that tiger in his life. Um, it became really, really bad for many years. So my dad, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties, my dad would take me to the, to the bar with him and my parents divorced when I was five. So this would be usually on the weekends that I would be with my father. And I have two younger brothers. We mentioned Chris. I also have a younger brother named Damien. So three boys and my dad would take us to the bar and he would give us, you know, a few quarters and uh, buy us a soda and we would go play pinball or video games and he would sit at the bar and drink and watch sports or talk with his friends or whatever. And at seven or eight years old, I thought that was the greatest thing ever, like for a little kid, like, yeah, let's go to the bar because I get to play video games and drink soda. But I quickly realized as I got into my teen years um, that my dad had a serious problem. He had a major addiction to alcohol. When he drank, it was Jekyll and Hyde. He turned he turned into a real mean, nasty guy verbally. 
he wasn't ever physically abusive, but verbally abusive. And sometimes those can cut even deeper than the physical abuse that some people receive. And that was my dad in a nutshell for many, many years. Um, you know, as I got older, I started to understand the benefits of boundaries. And my mom, who is the rock of our family, really helped keep us on the straight and narrow and help us continue to, you know, achieve and go after goals and dreams and going to college and things like that. But in the midst of all that was this looming shadow of my dad who was constantly trying to stay in the picture as a father to his boys, but he couldn't stop drinking. And that led to a lot of really bad choices for him, which ultimately led him to lose his job uh, because he showed up drunk as a, as a teacher. He was a teacher, uh, taught driver's ed and taught social studies. He showed up to the classroom one day drunk, and that was the end of his teaching career in the mid-90s. And then had another marriage that ended up in divorce, and it just got really bad for my dad. Uh, and this is a, a cycle that started when I was you know, eight, nine years old and continued all the way till I was about 40. And in the midst of this struggle that my dad's having with alcohol, it's putting a strain on our relationship. I like the sober dad a lot. I really hated the drunk dad. Uh, hated is a strong word, but that's really how I felt for many years. And so I had this sort of, man, I wish he was just sober kind of mindset because I, I don't mind talking to the sober Joe Romano because he loves sports and he was fun. And, you know, we, we really hit it off a lot of times when we would talk about those things that we both loved, which was most of the time sports. But man, he was he was drunk a lot, and the problem was he would often pick up the phone and call when he was drunk, and that would just turn into really a, a verbal match of screaming and yelling and calling names to each other that no person should ever have to deal with with regards to their dad. And my dad called me and even my wife and my daughter and my mom quite often some pretty horrible names, uh, names that I would never say or words that I would never use in my life, much less on a podcast like this. And so this relationship that was growing further and further apart, uh, you know, was really conflicting for me because then I became a follower of Christ and I'm trying to grow in my journey with Jesus and trying to see God as father to me, a loving father who loves his son unconditionally. And I'm struggling with having an my own father in this world who I know loved me, but just couldn't express it in the right way and could not stop drinking. And ultimately with my dad, it came, it became worse and, and he was struggling with depression as well. Um, and when you combine those two things, guys, alcohol and depression, it's a, it's not a good combination. And it ultimately led in 2013 to my dad trying to end his life. He just didn't want to live anymore. He was at a really, really bad point in his journey. Um, at this point for me, I kind of felt like I was in a great place. Like I had the ESPN job, married, we had our daughter, nice house on the outside. Things were going great, but the relationship aspect with my dad was, was just deteriorating. And then to watch him stumble to his lowest point, um, it was very hard for me. And, you know, I tried to just be numb to it, kind of ignore it, um, and the idea of forgiveness in writing this book was the fact that I had not forgiven my dad for so many years. I held a lot of bitterness, a lot of anger towards him. And some of that I had kind of, you know, put away in a box up in the attic, hoping that it would just stay up there, stored away forever. And 
you, you guys know this, when you put something in the attic, eventually you got to pull it out and see what's inside. And I had to deal with my own forgiveness issues with my dad, but it didn't happen really until he hit his lowest point and tried to end his life. And I got this call from a nurse at a hospital in Albany, New York. And she said, Jason, your dad tried to end his life last night, took a bunch of pills. Thankfully, we were able to revive him and he's going to be okay. We just wanted to let you know that he's here in this hospital in Albany, New York. And guys, this is where I was with my relationship with my dad and how bitter I was towards him. Because when that nurse called, I just said, thank you for calling. And I hung up the phone and that was it for like a week. I didn't jump in the car to go see him. You know, I think if it was any person in my family other than my dad, I would have been right there in a heartbeat to be with them and to, and to support them. But I wasn't with my dad. I was just so angry and bitter and, and just... You know, even I hate admitting this, but there were moments where I kind of thought, well, maybe this would be the best thing if he just didn't make it and wasn't around anymore. Because then he wouldn't be in, in any pain anymore. He wouldn't cause any more pain to us. We wouldn't be in any pain. Obviously, I, that's not the right mindset to have, but that's kind of where I was, guys. And I think a week later, maybe two weeks later, my dad called me from the psychiatric ward at the hospital in Albany. And I'm not even sure how he was able to make a call, but maybe they allowed him to make a call. And he called. And when I answered the phone, all he said was, hi, Jay, in a very low and somber voice. And for uh, about two seconds there, I, I heard a lifeless, empty, in essence, dead voice on the other end of the phone. And that was the moment where for the first time in my life, I had empathy towards my father. I really felt very sorry for his life that he had had to live and chosen to live, uh, where it culminated at 60 or 61 or 62, whatever he was at the time, to be in the hospital at his lowest point. And I verbally told him at that moment, in that time of empathy, Dad, I'm sorry that you're going through what you're going through, and I want you to know I forgive you, and you're going to be okay. And I don't know why I said that. I didn't know that that was going to be the case. Um, I don't even know if I truly had forgiven him at that moment because I believe forgiveness is a process that you have to kind of walk through for many, many years. But verbally expressing that to him allowed me to begin this journey of my own to forgive my dad, not because my dad had done anything wrong to me, but because I was holding on to this bitterness myself and I needed to be free from it. I needed to be free from this prison that I had created my, in myself by not forgiving my father, thinking that he didn't deserve to be forgiven for all the crap he put us through, but that's not how God works. You know, the forgiveness is not about the other person. In my opinion, when I look at scripture, Jesus talks about pretty bluntly the importance of we need to forgive every single time we're wronged, especially if you look at Matthew 18. So I needed to figure out a way to forgive my father, but forgive that bitterness that I had towards him for me. And like I said, I think that started that opportunity for me to enter into that. And then I went on this sort of three or four year quest of reading God's word, reading what Jesus talked about with forgiveness and understanding why he talks so much about forgiveness, because it really does bring this freedom in our lives to love others and to not just take a beating. If somebody's you know doing something to you verbally or physically, you need to get out of that situation but you can live a life of forgiveness without forgetting 
or without spending time with that person who may have, you know, hurt you. Um, the good news out of all this, guys, is that that day was the last day my dad had a, a drink of alcohol to this day. Nine years mm -hmm. later, he's still sober. Um, he's still not walking with the Lord, so keep him in prayer for that. But he's sober. And for many years, my prayer was not for my dad to become a Christian as much as I wish I should have been praying that. It was for my dad to get sober. And and he's done that. And uh, praise God for that. And our relationship isn't perfect today, but it's not um, it's not nearly where it was before and we are reconciled, but I do say this forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned, some of those wounds are pretty deep. Some of the people who did the, you know, the abusing or the pain that they caused, it's just not possible to reconcile, but where forgiveness isn't, or where reconciliation isn't always possible. Forgiveness is, uh, in a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are now. Jason, I appreciate you sharing your story with us and We've shared a few sermons uh, about that, that you know, forgiveness takes one person and reconciliation takes both people. Yes. And uh, we can all forgive. Ask my daughter. They just got back from church camp, and she's going into high school. She's going to be in ninth grade. And I asked her, you know, they're exhausted when they get back from church camp, and so you don't try to ask too many questions. And Yes. I said, what, what's just one thing you learned? Like, share with me one thing that you learned uh, spiritually at the camp, and it, and it was mm. forgiveness. She said, you know, forgiveness. She said, I learned that we forgive other people, not for the other person, but for ourselves, so, yeah. th so that we can be free, so, th so that we can have peace. And then she went on to quote what you had quoted, that if we want God to forgive us, we have to forgive other people. And I've been in, you know, hundreds and hundreds of counseling sessions with people, and people just have a hard time. And I have a hard time. It, it's hard to forgive other people. It's hard to to let things go, but when you do forgive that person, it, it is freeing for you. It does, it does give you peace, and the hope is is the reconciliation as well. well. We'll be praying for your dad's salvation for sure. Thank you. What about, what about the rest of your family? Uh, you, you said your brother became a Christian. You became a Christian. What about the rest of your family? Yeah, um, so my middle brother, Chris, the first in our family, um, he got saved because his now wife, Tara, became a Christian. So she really, you know, was the sort of the first lineage of this. Mm -hmm. um, my little brother, Damien, got saved uh, right before I did. Um, so all three of the Romano brothers are, mm -hmm. are following Christ, which is a miracle in its own right, considering our upbringing and where we came from. Um, what's interesting is when I got saved, my my wife was not a Christian. You know, she was a lot like I was, a very sort of nominal churchgoer who, you know, probably believed in God, but didn't think it was a necessary part of our lives. And then I just tried to be intentional about my walk with the Lord. And we had Sarah. And then my wife started coming to church a little bit with us. And eventually she got saved uh, about a year after Sarah was born, my daughter. And so then Sarah, you know, began her journey in church. And she would tell you church camp, the one that we had up here in New Hampshire near Connecticut, was her moment, you know, at nine or 10. I'm sure she'll have another one as she gets a little older. Uh, and then I had the privilege and honor, and it's one of my favorite days ever, to baptize my daughter. Mm. Uh, I don't know, when she was probably 10 or 11 years old. And you talk about uh, being a proud dad. Like, watching her play softball and volleyball was amazing. Watching her have amazing grades and getting an opportunity to go to college is is just awesome. But watching her 
choose to follow Jesus and then baptizing her, there aren't too many better days than that. So, you know, my, God has been really great um, in the sense of seeing my family really want to grow in a relationship with him. You know, not everybody in my family is walking with the Lord, and that's okay. We still love them. We'll continue to pray for them. Um, but I'm really thankful that there are two brothers that I call my best friends. There's my wife that I call my other best friend and my daughter, um, my mom, even following the Lord that I can have genuine conversations about and, uh, and they're like-minded as well. And, uh, and that's very, you know, that's very, um, I don't know, satisfying, I guess, or I'm just very thankful for that. It brings me a lot of joy. Well, there's there's a biblical principle, and that the reason why I ask you about about your household, the the Greek word is oikos, and it means household. And you see over and over again throughout the scriptures, and especially in the Book of Acts, you know, one person would become a Christian in his or her household, and it says the entire household came to know Christ and was baptized. So like the the jailer or or Lydia, you know, says that they came to know Christ and their whole household, and so your brother became a Christian. And through him coming to know Christ, now your entire household yes. has come to know Christ. And, and I tell him that all the time, Pastor Jay, too. I'm like, this is your fault, Chris. And I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> but, you know, even for me to write a book about forgiveness in my walk with Jesus or to have a daughter that I'm going to take to a college that's all about keeping Jesus first and then others second and ourselves third, uh, to be serving in the church. Yeah. It's just, I, I see, I talk about this all the time with my brother. I said, thank you. You know, you're the reason. And we joke about it a lot, but I'm so grateful that he had the boldness that day, 21 years ago to just ask me if I, he could introduce me to Christ, because who knows what could have happened if he didn't follow that yes nudge that God was pointing him towards. And I've seen the ripple effects, not just in, with me and my family, but with him and his family, he has five kids. They're all loving Jesus. He's got grandkids now. And they're, you know, in the church. I mean, just so many ripple effects from that one starting moment with his wife, eventually him, and then to me. It's crazy. And then him through you, and then all the people God has used you to impact through the platform God's given you and all the people you've interviewed. And it just goes, it goes on and on. So crazy. crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Davey, how do you, how do you want to wrap this up? We appreciate it, brother. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thank you for your boldness. Yeah. Thank you for uh, you know sharing your story. I know it's not always the most fun thing in the world to do. I sure I know you'd rather listen to other people's stories probably than share yours, but that's all right. We appreciate it. Well, I appreciate both of you guys having me. Thank you for uh, asking the questions that you did and giving me an opportunity to share. Really appreciate being on with you. Thank you for listening to this week's Family Goals podcast with Davey Pollock and Pastor Jay. What an awesome story from Jason. It was great hearing advice from how quickly time goes with your kids. If you are stressed out with your kids and the season of life you're in, stay strong and keep loving and serving your kids because before you know it, they will be gone. Maybe you've been affected by a bad relationship with your parents, but let me encourage you. Just as Jason did, he forgave his dad so that he could be free from that bitterness that he was holding on to. If you are holding on to some sort of bitterness in a relationship, I want to encourage you to have that conversation with that person so that you can experience that same freedom that comes with forgiving others. 